0: um okay all right you don't exist yet Rebecca we haven't okay. announced you into the okay. show yet so Can we pause no I'm just gonna do it now okay <laughs> <laughs> but you're still out in the ether you know like until you're announced no, you just I feel it's weird because
1: I feel like I exist like in the general sense
0: I know and that's yeah. just I mean but maybe I that's your truth but <laughs> you know my truth is that you <laughs> You're not even here till I not, summon yeah, you yeah. from the podcast. It's like either. I have fallen in a forest and no yeah, one's there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, you know. <laughs> um. Welcome to Breast Cancer is Boring, a podcast about breast cancer with Jocelyn and Lauren. Whether you have breast cancer or any other kind of cancer, or you're just a weirdo who's super <laughs> cancer curious, welcome. We hope you enjoy. Because breast cancer is boring, but we and you.
2: I love it.
0: Welcome to the show. We've got a very special guest today. But first, announcements. It's still a pandemic. So get vaxxed. Wear a max if you're axed in. Try to relax. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so I'm tired of saying it, and I'm sure you're tired of hearing it. Uh, but I also feel compelled to comment on something else that I've been seeing around the socials and just generally people dropping into casual conversation. And this is the idea that we are going to develop a system where we turn people away who have decided not to get vaccinated. We They show up to the hospital and they shouldn't be able to get care because they made a stupid decision for their life. And I'm just here to tell you, as a 10-year veteran of working as a nurse in a hospital, you don't turn people away for stupidity. Right. You just don't. One time I had a patient who got so drunk that he fell off his own balcony. You don't punish people for being stupid. One time I took care of a patient who nearly burned his penis off with nair because he had read on the internet that it would cure his crabs or scabies, which is what he thought he had. So stupid is not a disqualifier for getting medical attention. Yes, We also don't turn people away for being assholes. And I mean like really, really bad, bad people. I have taken care of drunk drivers. I have taken care of actual imprisoned people, inmates, custodial patients, as we call them.
2: Um, I once
0: had a patient who uh, murdered his wife. (laughs) Like. That's what got uh, him beat up. He shot his wife in front of his son, and his son uh, beat him almost to death. So I also I have taken care of a drug lord. Uh, the FBI was standing right outside his door when I went in to discharge him, and they told me, just act like it's a normal discharge. And then I wow. discharged him, and he walked out of the room and right into the hands of the FBI. That was a weirder day that I had. But the point I'm trying to make here is you're going to get care if you come to the hospital you yeah. just are. And what we are going to do is have a conversation about vaccines and why they're important and why the the benefits of getting vaccinated far 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 outweigh the risks of getting a vaccination, same with mask wearing. What we are not going to do is start down this path of deciding who is and who is not worthy of medical attention because down that road is There's nothing to be gained there. There's nothing to be gained there. And I can tell you as a nurse, the reason I give excellent care to drug runners, the reason I give excellent care to murderers, the reason I give excellent care to patients who, after bathing them, I discover they have a huge swastika tattoo on their back, they're still getting the best care that I can give. And that has everything to do with who I am and very little to do. With who they are. For sure. If you are a human person and you walk into the hospital that I'm employed at, you are going to get care. Period. I don't, it's not for me to decide. It just isn't. That being said, follow us on Instagram. (laughs) If you would like to see some more content about social justice issues and vaccines and masking and also just like reposting of hilarious shit that I find on Instagram, Mm -hmm. you can click in our stories (laughs) at breastcancerisboring. If you want to avoid all that stuff for your own mental well-being, I hear you and I support you. Stay on our main page, which is almost always exclusively having to do with promoting the podcast. Speaking of promoting the podcast, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars goes a long way to helping other people who may also enjoy listening to us find the podcast. And now, introductions. She is a writer and proprietor of one of the finest blog establishments, on the internet, uh, and that is One Woman Party is the name of that blog. She's also the author of Edie Richter's Not Alone, her debut novel, which has already been long-listed for a first novel prize, among much other praise, which we'll get into later. She's also just seems to be, in every way, a quality human person. It's Rebecca Handler!
1: Hello! That was lovely. Thank you.
0: (laughs) I welcome. should. Um,
1: and yes, I, that's welcome. the first time I've heard the expression blog establishment. Oh. And I really like it.
0: Good. because yeah. it's, um, it's better it's than not blog. Enough, it's not enough to say blog. Yeah. Bl- no. Because anyone can have a blog. Yeah. But yes. you have to bring some kind of level of, like, I don't know, skill and competence to have a blog establishment. <laughs> for sure. Thank you. It's an establishment. Thank you so it's, much. It's like, fantastic. It's a too. proprietary. Place, yeah, it's fantastic. Thanks, guys. Lauren was just telling me about this. Oh. Love Aww. it, love it.
2: It's just you, Lauren, absolutely, well, it's absolutely. Really nice to meet you guys. It's nice to meet you. So happy to have and you, and nice to um, be
1: on this podcast. That when I discovered you guys, I just felt like I was going to be okay. Because oh. I I receive a lot of information through podcasts. Like I'm a big yeah. podcast listener, mm-hmm. and yeah. so when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I was like, there must be some breast cancer podcasts out there. So I looked for them and um, so many of them looked like I might want to throw something across the room if I dared to listen, (laughs) (laughs) just based on the font alone or mm, or the like mm. really precious taglines. And then when I saw breast cancer is boring, I just felt, yes, that is for me. Because it yes. is really, really boring. It has been the most boring year of my life in some ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, thank you for that wonderful title.
2: You're welcome. So, so anticlimactic. Yes, right? Mm, mm-hmm. yeah. Not all it's
1: cracked up to be, really. No swelling of music.
2: No. No. Not at, at all. At no
1: point. point. No. no. It's kind of a dead elevator. Yeah. Huh.
0: Hmm. Yes. The <laughs>
1: but yeah, we the can door, talk about it.
2: <laughs> the one that with the door open and it's lit up, but it just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. there's a hint of danger there. Like mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. I could die. <laughs> yeah. But
2: right. you're on the ground floor.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. We could just keep going with this. Uh, I really do like this. Uh, it's like someone here's a writer or something. Um <laughs> Yeah. We're going to talk about grief shit, which. Yeah. Another good title. Grief yeah. shit. Grief shit. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't come up with this. One of your friends did. And I, mm-hmm. I feel awful that I, because I should credit her with this, but she was on your Instagram stories, like talking about how great your book is. And she described your book in the midst of her praise as being about grief shit. And I thought that was exactly the right term for your book and then also exactly the right term for like (laughs) what how the how just the overlaps between reading your book Mm -hmm. and like what ed her thought patterns to me it was the biggest thing but we'll talk about the book in a little bit like yes yes a lot a lot a lot a lot to say but we should get into the fun of um the person that is you and the experience that you're having that is. Uh, Very um, unique, I think. Yes.
1: Thank you. Mm. Yes. It's been a pretty um, wild year, I would say. For sure. Um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer one month before my first novel came out. Mm. And I mean, we'll get to the book later. But yes, there is some grief shit in the book. (laughs) And then now there was some grief shit in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I was like simultaneously um, super excited and proud of my novel and really excited for all of these like, you know, book events coming up and um, getting to be interviewed and talk about it and try to sell a bunch of copies and um, something I'd worked on for so many years. Mm -hmm. And then I was also like scheduling a double mastectomy for like the week after my book launch. So it was crazy. It was crazy. And sort of like, in preparation for talking to you guys, I was looking at the timeline because I don't um, I don't know about you guys, but I have like something with this whole cancer thing that I am now referring to as selective detachment. Uh-huh, where I okay. don't actually, I don't really remember. A lot of things like I can't just rattle off like the kind of tumor that I had or mm-hmm. um, the different treatments that were available to me or the dates that certain things happen like I just I find that I'm not retaining that very well because uh-huh. I don't want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah like I don't want to be able to tell you all about my tumors you know, right. like that's no fun for me. I'd rather yeah. retain other information. However, I know that my health is important and I need to understand what is going on in my body, which is why I have a very convenient journal. And I know your listeners can't um, see this, but I will describe it. Um, okay. So I have this journal that where I write all of my cancer stuff in it, and it is covered with little stickers that I get when I go to the hospital for an appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you oh. go, at, when you go, I'm being treated at UCSF in San Francisco. When I go to UCSF, they give you like a little Monday through Friday sticker just yeah. so you're like a legit patient that day. Right. Um, okay. And so I collect these stickers just as a way, like I'm already on the back of the book, but
0: oh as a way God. of
1: just a visual for how many times I have stepped foot in that hospital. And so, and then in the journal, I write down all of my cancer appointments and um, I keep my armbands. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I keep
2: my, um, and again, again, apologies
1: too. to listeners. I'll just describe. I keep a Ziploc bag with a piece of my hair in it. Um, oh my God. Yeah, I just keep like everything. And so when I want to think or talk about my cancer, I just go to my book. And I guess that is because I'm a writer. And I'm just comfortable writing things down as opposed to retaining them in my mind. But yeah. Yeah. So I have like the whole timeline of kind of what this year was like, but um, which we can talk about. And uh yeah, but it's nuts. So
2: selective detachment. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think you're alone in that. Um I, I also kept a journal with and they always say you know, write down your questions for your physician or for your nurse or, you know, going into the next procedure. And then, um, and then I also started using it for like just a little jotting down, like when I was in a waiting room, like how I was feeling at that time. Like sometimes I just wrote, my nose is bleeding and I feel like shit and this sucks. <laughs> 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 and <laughs> yeah, Yes. Um, you know, or I woke up this morning with blood on my pillow. I don't know which part of me that blood came from, <laughs> oh my gosh. you know, Yeah, like, it's always a good time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Lauren, have you looked at your journal?
1: Oh yes. Okay. On Cause occasion, I wonder if like I'll ever want to look at this in the future. On
2: occasion, on occasion I do, um, and I even have some of my own hair because my son actually and my husband um, participated in removing all of my hair. And they, my son wanted to keep it. Aww. And I and I didn't um, at that time really care to keep it, but he did.
0: <laughs> Your son is a Victorian-era romantic. <laughs> totally.
1: Did he want to put it in the He's, locket around his yeah. neck?
0: <laughs> He's a gentleman in the 1800s. Yeah. Like, <laughs> It's adorable.
1: Yeah. Oh. Um, I made a doll out of um, some of my hair for wow for a young friend of mine. Um, wow. who Shares she and I share a morbid sense of humor
0: because you wanted her to be haunted or um, yeah it was like really scary child.
1: looking and I'm not I'm not um, I'm like I'm like an average crafty person but I am certainly not a person who had ever made a doll before. Um, but I didn't know what to do with all of this hair, so I made her a little doll uh, that's a felt doll with my actual hair as her hair. And her name is Cancer Jane. Oh, my God. And she comes with a little um, medicine bottle filled with, like, vintage baby buttons, which are pills that Cancer Jane can take. Yeah, it's pretty, wow. pretty disturbing.
0: How old is this child?
1: This child is 10. Wow. And uh, yeah, she was pretty pleased about it. I checked with her mom first.
0: No, I bet. Just
1: to see like if that would be okay. Because I said, I, I, have, I have all this hair. I don't know what to do with it. I was thinking of making Sabine a doll. She's like, oh my God, please. <laughs> She'll please love Please do it.
0: this. <laughs> I love this mom and I think I love this kid.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like a cool that's kid. a cool kid. Yeah. She's a wow. cool kid. Why okay. didn't I think of that? Well, it sounds like I don't know.
1: Who knows? Maybe your
0: son made his own doll. Yeah. Do you know what he did with the doll that he made?
2: Yeah, yeah. I I know where it's at. I I actually came across it while I was helping him clean his room the other day. (laughs) I
0: was like, ah. (laughs) I just feel like someday that doll's gonna start like moving around the house of its own fruition. Absolutely. You're gonna find it like in a cabinet.
2: Yeah. In
0: bed, all of a sudden, you're gonna wake up. It's like right next to you. Yeah. Hello. It's going to have a whole life of its own. <laughs> and it's not going to be happy. I mean, you named it Cancer whatever? Cancer Jane. Jane. Cancer Jane. Mm-hmm. Ooh, She's going to be mad about that <laughs> when she gains sentience.
1: She's a survivor.
0: <laughs> she's a survivor.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: this is such a good horror film, you guys. Oh, my yeah. god, We just wrote this. Yeah. That's the tagline, Cancer Jane.
2: She's a survivor. She's a survivor. She's not scared of anything. She's the only survivor. Oh gosh, she's had cancer. Yeah. Whoa. Ooh. Ooh. She's on all those steroids, really angry <laughs> and hungry yeah. for human flesh.
0: Yeah. Yes. you go oh, through she's menopause
2: zombie?
1: at age <laughs> six. You're ready for anything.
0: You thought menopause was hot. Wait till she drags you to
1: <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, there we go. There we go. That's it.
0: This is such a good idea for a children's show. I think we should pitch this immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Before we forget. (laughs) Yes, I'll be right back. Yeah. Oh, my God. I think that's legit keeping a journal. I think also it's a very shared experience, this selective memory thing. I think Mm -hmm. that's just a brain experiencing trauma. Mm -hmm. Like your brain is like, you don't need to retain an active memory of all of these things that are quite traumatic for you. We will file those away. You can revisit them later. Yes. I think that's a
1: total thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering if that's a shared experience because I find that sometimes when I talk to other people who are going through cancer treatments, they seem to have like this hyper awareness of everything that's going in and out of their body and what all of the chemotherapy drugs actually do and Mm. you know why they want to drink their kale smoothie every morning because (laughs) of like blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm I'm not even really sure how chemotherapy works. Um, (laughs) But I'm just going to trust people who've been Mm -hmm. studying this for years and years and years and years. And, you know, just kind (laughs) of. But, yeah, I don't know. And I I also don't like to do too much research because that never ends up in a good place.
0: It never ends up in
2: a good place. No. Mm -mm. Don't go down the Google rabbit hole.
0: I think it might mm-hmm. depend on your particular brand of control. I think being a creative person, as you are, you're going to make a hair doll <laughs> rather than research. <laughs> True. Exactly what the Adriamycin is doing exactly. to your See, body. I don't even know how to pronounce that. I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's, I mean, this is... Mm. This is a graduate degree in nursing, and I can say Adrienne Myerson.
1: That's amazing. That's <laughs> Super what it takes. Impressive. Thank, Super you, impressive. thank you. Thank Bravo. you. Thank I, you.
0: I have my degree here um, <laughs> somewhere in the closet. Well, would it be helpful
1: to for me to give you like a very quick snapshot of my cancer timeline?
0: Please do, because now? I find that people are intrigued. morbidly curious about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and also, if it's helpful to anyone listening, for sure. Yes, um, yes. please do. It absolutely. Felt So it felt really quick, and and I'm reading from my journal because on the first page I have a list of all the dates and everything that happened. Fantastic. So January 5th felt a lump Mm. in my breast. Um, February 2nd had a biopsy. February 5th it just says cancer. So (laughs) that's when a nurse called me and said, it's not the news we were hoping for which is something that I'll never forget. Wow. Um, I didn't have to write that down because I remembered what she said. Because you remember that. And then, so yeah, so I found a tumor in my left breast, and uh, it was like the very beginning of stage two, um, and it was a fast-growing tumor, and it's estrogen positive and progesterone and HER2 negative. Hmm. Um, And that's when we learned that I'm positive for BRCA1. Okay. So then because of that um, finding, I decided to opt for a double mastectomy. And it turned out that that, uh, I think, was a pretty good decision because there was another tumor hiding in my other breast, which was not picked up on a mammogram. Really? Yeah. Wow.
2: Oh, my God. Wow. So
1: because for a while i was like should i just remove the breast with the tumor or should i da-da-da? you know
2: i had not yet ever met another person that had cuz i had that experience where they found tumors during my mastectomy that that didn't show up on a mammogram or a breast ultrasound and i have not yet met another person that had the same experience and it's scary it is scary well, it's scary
1: too because and i i don't um I don't always like lead with that when I talk to people about my cancer, because I don't want to scare everyone who's having mammograms into thinking that things aren't showing up on mammograms, you know? Gotcha. Yeah, Um, Because I do, I do think in general, it seems that mammograms are a pretty terrific idea and fairly accurate of what's going on in your breasts. Mm -hmm. But you know, there, there are those times when there's something hiding in there.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you found the lump in your In your breast, you did you immediately think something of it? Oh yeah. When I felt
1: it, I immediately thought this is cancer, and I'll tell you why. (laughs) Here's my theory on why I felt that way. I, throughout my life, I've always been pretty lucky health wise, (laughs) up until this year. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can relate to this. I. I've been a really healthy person and um, when, and I don't get like little colds. I get like the flu. Mm -hmm. So if I ever get sick, I get really sick, but that doesn't happen that often. Mm -hmm. So I just felt like when I felt the lump, there's no way that this was just going to be like some sort of benign lump hanging out. Like, no, Mm -hmm. this is, we're going to go big or go home. This is definitely cancer. Um, I just felt it. And, and, you know, people in my life were generally like, no, 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 I had that and it was fine. Or, you know, maybe don't think in that way and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, 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 this is, this is cancer. And part of it is just I do tend to be a little morbid and imagine the worst case scenario. Um, and I just, I think it was just a matter of trying to prepare myself for it. Um so yeah, it felt like oh here we go. This is it. Yeah. Yeah, so I was diagnosed February 5th and then um March 19th I had a double my double mastectomy. And then in I think it was in May I started chemo. Yeah, so pretty quick. And I started chemo with four rounds of AC. And then now I'm in the middle of 12 rounds of taxol for so sorry infusion so like 16 mm-hmm. total for stage two yeah the other tumor was stage one um, okay I believe the reason we are blasting me to this extent is because mm-hmm. of the braca. Okay. okay yeah to just make sure and the nature of the tumors in their yeah. fast-growing way so to just really make sure that we can get all of this out
2: I that like that you sense. call it blasting me because that is exactly <laughs> it's how exactly it feels. Exactly what's happening. Yeah. It's, ex- it's totally Yeah, how it we're, feels. Going,
1: we're going big with this. Yeah. Um, go big or go home. And the AC uh, was terrible for me. Really hated it. So now that mm. I'm in the middle of Taxol, it just feels so much better. It's amazing. In <laughs> comparison? Yeah, right? It's all uh-huh. relative. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I'm glad I got the AC first. And oh, I'm no sure kidding. doing the Taxol now because I know that some people do the opposite where they start with the Taxol and they come in in the AC. I'm like, oof, I wouldn't want to uh, have that at the end of this. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So then I won't need um, radiation. Um, but I will be having. So, yeah, we can talk all about boobs, of course. Um, so in the boobs. double mastectomy, I got the expanders put in. So I felt that I wanted no. to get implants. So right now I have expanders in. And then um, sometime later this year, not to, it's not scheduled yet, but I'll do a uh, the swap out surgery. So put in the implants, take out the expanders, and then hopefully at that same time, because I would prefer to do it in one surgery, is to remove the ovaries and fallopian tubes. And that's because of BRCA also.
2: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And then I hope to just close this chapter. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I mean, I know no I'll kidding. need, and I
1: say that kind of laughing. I mean, I know I'll need to be on some sort of oral chemo for several years after. But mm-hmm. I would really like to uh, move forward after oh, yeah. this year.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I
1: went for a swim this morning. Um, I swim in the San Francisco Bay. and I, Wow. Um, and I was in, I belonged to this club. Uh, called the Dolphin Club, which is right by Ghirardelli Square in San Francisco. And it's this um, really old club that's been around since the 18, like the late 1800s. And um, there's, I was in the locker room and in the shower, and I was next to this woman. We were both showering, and she's uh, she told me her whole story. But she said, oh, you look like, uh, I, I think I've been through what you're going through. <laughs> she just took a look at my naked body and was like, I've been there. And then she showed me she has one breast. Um, and she had breast cancer in 1981 and she's oh. 79 years old.
0: Whoa. Really? Wow.
1: And it was really cool talking to her. Oh God. And it was like, I said this, oh, God, it just, and I knew that I was talking to you guys later today and it just felt yeah. like a really good way to start my day. Cause I was like, Oh, this is so inspirational. Wow. I mean, it, my favorite thing right now is to meet older women who feel like they they had breast cancer like past tense. Yeah. And yes. they, they're they done with it and they don't think about it every day.
0: Like that was I the hope thing that, that happened I can get to me. a point
1: where I don't have to think about it every day.
0: No oh kidding. God, how great would that be? Do you guys still
2: think about it every day? Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah.
0: Yes. I do that thing that like I do that thing that Edie does in your book. Where it's like a paragraph of just like, I don't know, perfunctory grocery shopping and then like uh, one, the very next thing is like insert terrible thought here and then move on to the rest of your day that you just have to get done. It's just it's awful, but it's just a part of my thought life every yeah. day. It's hard not to. I mean, it's we wear it on our bodies and we always will, mm-hmm. you know. Is there something
1: that triggers that in particular for you, like those thoughts? Or no, Or is it just part of your day?
0: (sighs) Everything triggers it. Yeah. (laughs) Every fucking thing. Yeah. Um, Every time I have a drink, I think, is uh, I going to have hot flashes later because I'm having a glass of wine? any, anywhere from am I going to have hot flashes later to is this really something I should be doing or is this going to give me cancer like every thought about whatever I'm doing exists on this guilt spectrum mm-hmm. um, that used to be just about like cultural expectations of how I as a woman need to present myself in the world and now there's an extra layer of <laughs> am I slowly dying without even knowing it
2: right, Um right.
0: Yeah, it's just pervasive. It goes into everything, and it's hard not to. I quit my job, and I had to rearrange uh, health insurance, and that's a big thing for me. I can't just do what I did in my 20s and not have health insurance. Um, firstly, because the laws have changed, but also I, I'm dependent on it. Um, applying for jobs. Cancer or a history of cancer is considered a disability under the ADA. And so you have to choose, yes, I have a disability, or lie and say, no, mm-hmm. I do not, or mm-hmm. say, I choose not to disclose. And just that, the, the making the choice of that for me, I was like, I don't fucking know, and I don't want to answer this question, and stop asking me, yeah. you know? Well, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to. I just, uh, it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. So it's just, it's in everything, always. Yeah. But it's, and I mean, do I bring it on myself? Like, I literally am doing a podcast about breast cancer. I mean, like, (laughs) right. Well, when
1: I asked you that question, I thought, oh, I guess, right, right. I guess, well, yeah, yeah, it is your work, right. Right.
0: But I mean, the alternative is having all these thoughts and feelings just in my own head or Mm -hmm. in my own journal, which I definitely keep. But I'm such a freak that I have a spreadsheet. For all of the like perfunctory information. (laughs) Don't stop laughing at me, Lauren. (laughs) And it's like, it was separated into morning, uh, afternoon, and evening. And it was just, it's just perfunctory information for that, I think for the first year that I had cancer. And then I have a journal, which is handwritten, obviously, because that way there's no digital record of it, which is very important when you're keeping a journal of terrible, awful, just deplorable thoughts and feelings Mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. and i don't censor myself at all because i never ever ever intend anyone else to read it so i can be a terrible person in this journal and i am i truly Mm -hmm, am um and then i have another i have like a litany of google documents that i'm like maybe someday a book and so and that's what i kept and it was thoughts and feelings but with the idea in the back of my head that someone might read this someday so Mm-hmm. don't um be honest i still say awful terrible things i mean i'm on a journey to becoming not a garbage person which we talk about uh quite a bit on this show <laughs> i was raised <laughs> to be a garbage person and i'm really trying not to be and and it's a full that's the journey cancer's not a journey that's a journey all right um but yeah yeah having a lot of outlets for thoughts and feelings and stuff is important because I do forget, I had a totally different timeline in my brain of when I got radiation in relation to when I started this podcast. I thought they were reversed. And I, th- I just think the brain like rearranges things uh, into a version that like we can live with day to day. But then I think it's also important to like keep a record of, no, it actually happened this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need that ready knowledge all the time. yeah,
1: I mean, it's interesting when you said that you're keeping a journal that you don't expect anyone else to ever read, and that's just for you. Mm -hmm. Because I go back and forth between like, yes, this is my journal, and it's only for me. But then I have two teenage daughters. And Mm -hmm. we're all very much aware that they have a 50% chance of having BRCA. And when they're 18, they can get screened if they want. Um, And so it's just in the back of my mind that you know, they might want to read this someday. And, right. um, you know, I I am conscious of the fact that I, I mean, I, I let myself completely lose my shit and melt down and, you know, mm-hmm. be a person with cancer, a yeah. full person. But I'm also aware that I'm, uh, you know, possibly modeling one way of going through this.
2: Yeah, um, I
1: see. And I want them to see that. And I, and I would want them to read this if it were helpful for them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My oldest son, when I started, he was eight. So he was certainly old enough to understand. And um, I had real, con- I still have real conversation. He asks me about it. He's 12 now. And he still asks me about it. He's such um, a grown up, that one. And, and he's even- such a grown up. Even yesterday. He was talking about the hospital that I worked at. They have a box at the hockey arena and they gave me the box for that day. So I invited, you know, my kids oh. and all of his friends and, you know, I mean, it's fun. They want to go to a hockey game. Who doesn't? So um, and I just happened to be dropping the puck for that game. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. He didn't remember that part at all. Like, we didn't was- remember you dropping the puck. No. Or even really how we got that. <laughs> like how we just remembered that.
0: a fun hockey game
2: yes and it was so wow. awesome I just was like he goes mom we should do that again and I was like oh yeah we should no totally really. do that again but I don't know if I could afford a box at a hockey game but, oh no <laughs> you know he was like we even had people coming through and like bringing us pizza and drinks and like we had our own like like waiter for our box and nice. Yeah. Fancy. It, it, was, it was really right. nice, but, but, um, you know, when we did talk about it a little bit and, cause I was trying to see what he remembered. Yeah. And he said, he goes, mom, you dropped the puck at that game. And I was like, yeah, don't you remember? Seeing me? wasn't that cool. And he was like, Oh, was, was, was that because of cancer? And I was like, Uh -uh. but i think that you know for the kids um and your daughters even i think that that's really smart of you because you are leading the way of how it's handled like how you can and it is okay to cry because i always tell my kids that too you know sometimes mommy cries about it Mm -hmm. and um You know, my son gets very sentimental about it sometimes, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you see commercials about, you know, women with breast cancer and different drugs that they're advertising for that, and and that's a trigger for him. And And all the,
1: like, YA movies and books about cancer, someone always dies. Yes. Yes. Like, there's not—I mean, I'm so thankful that in our actual lives, real lives, we have many—I mean, sadly— But also, hooray, we have many examples of women who had breast cancer and are now okay. Yes. Um, So my kids see those examples, thank goodness. Because if their Mm -hmm. only examples were from books and movies...
0: (laughs) (gasps) (laughs) They would expect you to die. Yes. Yes. And so
1: I I really do think that they... um, Like, we all talk about it and believe that this is a hard thing that I'm going through. But... I'm not going to die of this anytime mm-hmm. soon. That's right. You know, and maybe when I'm very old, I will die of cancer if it comes back. But, you know, we're all going to die of something when we're old. So I think it's like more, you know, we're more thinking about kind of the next 10 years and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: A quick BSA, Breast Service Announcement. No one doesn't deserve health care. It's been suggested that those that don't get vaccinated should simply be turned away at the hospital door when needing medical attention. And while it is objectively funny to think of them being sent to a tent off-site where Twitter trolls can just Google their treatment and diagnosis, I feel like it's important to point out that not everyone who doesn't get vaccinated has a raging case of megacephalopathy or epitrumptivitis. And even if they do... As previously mentioned in this episode, stupidity is not a disqualifier for getting medical attention. It never has been, trust me. There is no deserving or undeserving when it comes to healthcare. There are just those that, at any given point in time, either need medical attention or they don't. And if you do, you should get it. As a nurse, I've taken care of murderers, convicted felons, racists, assholes, misogynists, so many misogynists, sex offenders, and gasp, Republicans. All got my best care and that had everything to do with who I am and very little to do with who they are. This does not mean that I tolerate racist or misogynistic words or actions while caring for these patients, however, and setting clear boundaries is part of a healthy plan of care and nurses are not your punching bag. So keep that in mind when you enter these spaces. The point is, please get vaccinated if at all possible. 172,646,952 people in the U.S. alone have already been fully vaccinated according to statistics from Johns Hopkins. It's free, it's incredibly low risk, and it's incredibly beneficial, not just to you, but literally to the entire world. If you're hurt or sick, get medical attention. We're not gonna turn you away just because you posted that meme about Fauci on your Facebook page. You know who you are, and you can leave that attitude at the door. One last thing, I'm hopefully fully out of Texas by now, but I just wanted to say that if you ever do come to your senses and decide to offer actual state-sponsored free healthcare to your people, you should call it Healthcare for Y'all. Yeah. That one's on me, Texas. And now back to the show. We're going to talk about the book that you just wrote. I mean, my God. Oh, this
1: uh, one? Yes. Oh,
0: oh, is oh. that?
2: Oh. Did hmm. huh, is that just, a book you wrote? Did you write to that? Is that oh. to oh. it's so weird. Wow, oh, that's so strange. I can't. Yeah, that's that, so... it's like your name is on that. Yeah, is I that your name? Oh my god!
1: Is that? Oh my god! It, it, is. Is. it is. It is you. Oh my god! Oh, oh, it's my me god. with hair. Look, it's me with hair.
0: Oh. Look
2: at that hair. oh. Here we Here's can just hold it up too. here. You, you do have nice hair. Thank you. Yeah, you do. I can't wait for that to come back.
0: It does. Yeah. Um, Some praise for your book that um, was not difficult to find on the interwebs. Mm -hmm. Um, Just some things people are saying about your book. I don't know if you have heard, but um, they're saying it's profound, yet often quite funny, keenly observed and deeply affecting. Um, Another comment is captures that peculiar unsettling blend of exhaustion, hilarity and pain in the face of grief. Absolutely. Um, It's dark, funny, and a personal favorite in this moment. Short. Highly recommend. (laughs) And then this one, uh, this is my favorite bit. Um, Yours and mine both probably, but that rare thing. This is dot, 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 by the way. He said a lot of great things about your book, but I just wanted to highlight Mm -hmm. when he said that rare thing, a perfect book. And that is from I Andrew Sean Greer, who won a fucking Pulitzer Prize <laughs> for fiction, so with his book "Less."
1: Yeah, I was blown away by that. Do you,
0: do you know this I guy? Was really blown away. Is he like?
1: I do have the pleasure of knowing him. I have to say, that's so um, great. He's he's a longtime San Francisco resident. He's okay. Um, he sort of splits his time in the last several years between um, Italy and California.
0: I hate him now. <laughs>
2: But yes, I've
1: known him for several years and he was extremely supportive to me in the writing of this book and um, ended up really enjoying it, which was a total treat because I'm a huge fan of his work. I mean, Les is amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Story of a Marriage is one of my favorite books. I need to read that. Okay. So yeah, I was really,
0: really lucky to to score that kind of blurb. (laughs) Um you also it's Well, thank you for the praise. Absolutely. It's not just like individuals, actual like committees of people also really like your book. You have been long listed for the Center for Fiction first novel prize, which is kind of a big deal. And you've been invited to be a McDowell fellow, which you are doing in April. uh
1: I'm so excited about McDowell and it still hasn't really sunk in. Yeah. But I'm I'm a pretty busy and distracted person in general. And the idea that I get to go spend three weeks in a cabin in New Hampshire and do nothing but write. And all of my meals will be cooked for you. Prepared for me. I, I mean I can't even yeah. So I'm hoping that I use that time extremely productively.
0: I hope you just take a bunch um, of naps. I mean the only reason
1: I was really able to finish E D was because I was able to get away sometimes by myself for a few days at a time. Yeah. Which really does seem to help. Okay. Talk about that. Like Sometimes you have to shut out the world to write a book.
0: Yes. Yes. Especially the world we're currently living in. Anyway, give us like a synopsis.
1: So Edie Richter is not alone is about a woman who loses her father after he has had Alzheimer's for many years. And she's grieving and moves with her husband to Perth, Western Australia, which is a very remote place, um, hoping that somehow that kind of location will help her heal. Um, (laughs) It does not. It ends up terrorizing her. And she's harboring a pretty dark secret. And the story is about her kind of coming to terms with her grief and her secret keeping and uh, Mm -hmm. losing her mind a little bit
0: yes which i loved mm-hmm. i okay now my synopsis mm-hmm. of the book um which i it's just going to be like a live feed of like how i my feelings while i was reading it so like 3 pages in i'm crying i don't know why um because i don't understand how you're doing this thing where you're just giving uh information seemingly innocuous information there's no emotion tied to this, like, what's happening, and yet mm-hmm. there is. There's, like, deep emotion in it. It's just not obvious, and so, like, after reading, just, like, I'm seriously like, three pages after the prologue, and I started crying, and I was like, what is happening right now? This was my experience. You think you're reading one book, you get 15 to 20% of the way through, and you're like, oh, okay, okay, this is a uh, it- escalates quickly. <laughs> and then the rest of the book you're just like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god." Like it's amazing to me that you wrote this mm-hmm. book before being diagnosed with cancer because it was such a parallel for me. This this fixation she had on this event and then my own fixation that I have on myself having had cancer. And And, and like how you almost can convince yourself, like maybe it didn't happen, but the evidence of it is everywhere. And then like going about your daily life and just having it hit you in different ways and then come out in different ways that you didn't expect. And, but it's always there. It's always like, and it's sudden. The thoughts are sudden. They're not like, there's not this like linear pattern to my thoughts. It's like this thought over, it's so tangential, like this thought over here, and then this thought over here, and then like cancer, 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 cancer. Remember that time you had cancer? Remember you have cancer? Hey, don't forget you have cancer. Like all the time, like <laughs> invading my thoughts. And that was like what it was like to read, to be in her thought life. And, and just, I don't know, it was so, it was fluid in one way, but, but the thought life was so tangential. I don't know if there's something, it's like layered or something. I don't even know what I'm saying, but I'm, I'm right there with you, Jocelyn. I'm follow, I'm following it. I don't know. Like some books you read them and you're like, oh, that was, it was enjoyable. I liked that book. That was fun or whatever. This book was like, I'm going to think about my life. And (laughs) like, it's a full experience, but it's also fucking hilarious and gives you some kind of weird perspective. Like I felt better after reading it while reading it. But at the same time, I felt like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, it's a thing. Like, this book is a thing. I'm not an award-winning author. I don't have a Pulitzer yet.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But I read, mm-hmm. I read much books. And there are, like, books where it's a full experience. And there's something to it. And, like, it absorbs you and you get absorbed mm-hmm. into it. Like, that's this book. Like, something's happening in this book mm-hmm. and like I don't think there's a single person who yes would not have like a similar connection with with it
1: um the the original inspiration for the story I would say was um when I lost my own father to Alzheimer's back in 2013 um after he died I just kept thinking about um, another kind of person who would have gone through this caregiving experience. I mean, helping care for my dad as he was dying was, was uh, life-changing for sure. And yeah, that's um, I wanted to create this other character who would go through that experience in a very different way. Um, mm-hmm. Then, but I wasn't writing fiction at the time. I was working mm-hmm. full-time in fundraising and philanthropy. And so writing a lot for work, but not writing fiction. When I moved to Perth with my husband and our children in 2015, I started writing a blog, OneWomanParty.com. OneWomanParty.com. Just going to slip that in. Check it out today.
0: <laughs> Available on the internet
1: for free. So I started writing a blog um, where I was writing a lot of sort of like observational humor stuff, you know, uh, moving your family across the world, Australia versus the U.S., <laughs> just kind of, you know, little anecdotes of what I was seeing in terms of cultural differences and our life there. And I hit a wall, as I think a lot of kind of memoir writers or nonfiction writers do, in that there, you know, I I just, there were things that I didn't really want to write about um, in a nonfiction way. Um, Mm. I felt like I didn't want to. I, you know, I, in my in my nonfiction writing, I always if anyone's going to be the butt of the joke, it's going to be me. You know, I have no desire to <laughs> put it all out there or get anyone else in trouble. Um, so I turned to fiction because uh, what happens when you write fiction is you can really warp reality and work through certain things in your own life, yeah, um, in a very different way. And that was really exciting. So then I turned back to the seed of a of an idea for this story about a woman who's father had Alzheimer's, um, and it just kind of took off from there. So the first draft took about a year to write, but it looked very different from the wow. novel that's eventually published. And then I wrote a couple of more drafts and um, ended up moving back to the States in 2018, um, where I was able to secure an agent after a lot of looking and then eventually secure a publisher. So it's, it takes a long time to write a book, as it turns out wow from start to finish
2: yeah. i mean <laughs> and I've been i look trying... at books
1: very differently now you do <laughs> yes. well like in a bookstore i'll just every book in there took yeah. a lot to get on it's like self. a little
0: miracle yeah yeah i've identified this genre as coming of middle age almost like where people mm-hmm. are exploring themselves in a way that usually is reserved for like ya fiction stuff Um, And I have found Mm -hmm. that I really respond well to this. I like this a lot. I like a strong female character who is not right. Mm. Like, Mm -hmm. not a moral bastion of the world. I like someone who's like, uh, but in a way, they're so right. And I wish, I like, Edie is... uh, She's a little bit scary, but she's also yeah. like aspirational to me. Like she's yes. so
1: assertive. Yeah, she's a very um she's a very idiosyncratic person who mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. says exactly what's mm-hmm. on her mind. Yes. Not always thinking about the repercussions of that, and that is a very freeing type of character. That's write, a very sure.
0: freeing I, It type was of important
1: character. to me actually like um when I wrote her, I wanted to write her almost I mean, she she identifies as female, I would say. I mean, she's not asked that directly, but I would guess she would probably answer that she identifies as female. But it was important to me to write her in almost a gender fluid kind of way. I didn't want to write a very stereotypical female character who, as you said, is like, you know, incredibly nurturing and yes serves as like a mother earth to everyone around her Mm -hmm. and um yeah i had no interest in that i also had no interest in Mm -hmm. writing her husband as a stereotypical kind of out of it doofy man yeah i think a lot of husbands in literature where the woman is the main character and husband is a side character sometimes the husband's just kind of a a doofus
0: yeah He's
1: um, an idiot. And I wanted to make Oren, Edie's husband, a sensitive uh, man who puts up with a lot of her mm. bullshit, He does. but also can be, he can't actually be pushed too far as it turns out. He does have yeah. a, he does have a shut off. Yeah.
0: He does. And um, Edie's very mm-hmm. inwardly focused, mm-hmm. but I also find that Oren, I think was a bit inwardly focused too. I don't know. Like just a little bit, Mm
1: -hmm. you know, and they're not used to, I mean, I think some couples process their relationship a lot and go to therapy and, um, they're not like that. They're not going to really talk a lot about their relationship. Mm
0: -hmm. No, (laughs) they're just cruising
1: along. Yeah.
0: Yeah, They're just, but they're they're committed. I think they're committed. Yeah. And also he knows how to respond. Did you find their
1: marriage, um, really find their relationship believable?
0: Yes. Oh, 100%. Yes. For sure. That's great.
1: Because um, it's interesting in like the first draft, I received some feedback from a writing mentor of mine in Perth who said that I needed to work a little bit on the believability of their marriage. That's when Edie was, she was pretty harsh. She was a lot meaner in the first draft. Okay. And the feedback I received was like, well, why would he be with her? And I found that to be really interesting feedback and something I've thought a lot about over the past couple of years is Mm. like the believability of relationships in books and film. Um, For example, in a rom-com or something, it never seems believable. Or like Mm -hmm. if you've seen Knocked Up, you know, like there are these movies where you're just told that these people are falling in love with each other, but you you don't really question it. it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Against all odds. And when
1: you write, yeah, yeah, totally. But when you write a couple, that's actually a little more complicated than that. Some people, you know, will wonder like, well, why are they together? Or why is, why is Orin with Edie if she's so cruel? Cool? Or why is Edie with Oren if she's mm-hmm. so detached? And I just think love is more complicated than that. Yes. So I'm and- going with that. I'm going and with, Edie like, it's is really more, hard to define sometimes.
0: Yes, and Edie feels more complicated to me than that. And as someone who, I think, of the two characters, I identify with Edie much more. Like, I can be colder and more, like, living inside of my head and making decisions and, like, having... The conversations that haven't been had yet, but just deciding what the other person is saying um, Mm -hmm. already, which is a problem. And I'm working on it with my therapist. But I married like more of a nurturer, more of like an Orin who, you know, is Mm -hmm. a cat lover, even though he's terribly allergic and going to die because he's (laughs) cosmetic. But and so like I identified that dynamic and that's a full thing. I think people like Orin, like, seek out people mm-hmm. like Edie because they identify a certain strength and assertiveness that they lack, and there's some safety there. Mm-hmm. I think there's some safety there completely. for each of them, like, in that yeah. Yeah. relationship.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I did find yeah. myself, while I was reading, thinking, I, like, I want to be this woman's friend. I think it would not be easy, and I would want that. Like, I would very much want that because she's a bit of chaos. You would know where you stand. With you her. would know where you stand, which is like so important. Yeah. And I didn't know that that was And I a actually thing. think she's, I actually
1: think that she's a loyal friend. In her yes. Life. Yeah. I don't think she's someone who's going to drop their friends. I think she has an incredibly high tolerance for people, I would say. But that yeah. might be, maybe not for her um, neighbor.
0: <laughs> but that, that neighbor but i was still like i was still like yeah you get her and then at the oh my god oh my god it was just uh yeah yeah it was very i don't know somehow you did a character that was that like went beyond what i feel like i ever have seen in real life and yet it was completely believable and again, aspirational yeah. and wild, yeah. and yet, I don't know, I, I loved all of that. It is hilarious, even in, like, the moments that are so sad. Like, I
1: really love to think about and practice, actually, <laughs> the connection between grief and humor. Yeah. Um, for me, they're extremely linked in my life. Um. I think I was talking to my husband about this recently. I think I'm Jewish and was raised Jewish and wonder if I certainly attribute mm. my sense of humor a lot to my Judaism. Um, I find my sense of humor tends to be pretty quintessentially Jewish, which is like. Really?
0: Uh, I, I know, did not know this was a thing. They're going to,
1: it's like, <laughs> they're going to, you know, what are they, what we say, like the theme of every Jewish holiday is they tried to kill us. Let's eat. And it's like it's so that. Pretty that pretty much sums up grief oh and humor. Oh my god! You know, like yeah. we could die at any moment, so we might as well yeah. have a blast and Eat drink laugh and be merry. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and yes. yeah, I find that cancer comes with um, a lot of humor. Um, for instance, I was at chemo yesterday and walked across mm-hmm. the hospital to the cafe to get a coffee, and passed this art exhibit that I had never seen before, and the title of the exhibit was All Species Panic.
0: I saw that on your Instagram. (laughs) What is up with that? I just thought of
1: all of the art exhibits (laughs) to put in a a cancer hospital? hospital. And I just, and I, I actually found it to be rather soothing. <laughs> you did, okay. <laughs> Which maybe was the intention.
2: But I, mean... I would guess
1: that there are many people who don't find um, thinking about how all species panic is soothing. Right. But you know, like down the hallway from the panic art exhibit, there was an <laughs> inspirational quote about mountains. Oh. And I really preferred the panic exhibit. I prefer the, the panic, yeah.
0: I don't even know what because the mountains one is, but, but already yes, yep. I already you hate know, it. Yes, I already hate it. You know,
1: but you yep. know what it There's is. There's a lot of I know what about. it is, yeah. yeah. I also reject the word journey. Mm. I don't know why. It just makes me cringe.
0: It's very cringe. It's very cringe. What is it about
1: that word journey?
0: Um, I think maybe it's it's also during
1: covid when we're not actually traveling
2: (laughs)
0: that so it's very triggering so i don't want my only journey right
1: now to be yeah
0: it's too it's too uh it's too positive i when i hear journey i feel like that's born out of the toxic positivity instagram culture yeah where it's like people talking about Mm -hmm. their um Healthy eating journey, yeah, or their fitness journey, or, um, you know, to lump cancer into like these journeys people are having, like, fuck you so much. Oh. No, no, yeah. no. And I just, if I, I'm trying to think of like, <sighs> also, journeys come to an end, journeys, I think, are for like a limited time. And I do get that, like, Someone mm-hmm. going through active chemo is in a very different place than someone mm-hmm. like me who is just, you know, not and has a full head of hair. But, like, we will have cancer for the rest of our lives. Like, it is with us. That diagnosis follows you around. This follows you around forever. So to, like, call it a journey, it, it just it's belittling in a way. It's, it's uh-huh. infantilizing the concept of what, this is not a hero's journey that we're on. This is not our dark night of the soul and we're going to emerge having slain the dragon that is cancer. That doesn't happen. You know, cancer is not a sentient yeah. thing. We, we like personify mm-hmm. it. And part of me participates in that and then part of me hates that because it's not sentient. Cancer didn't do this to me. It's not like this evil. I like to think that like my body is just like, whoops, like, uh yeah, oh. I feel like, yeah, I like I did this I thing. Really, that oh, no. really resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, that really resonates with me. I also there's like so much um language around mm-hmm. cancer that I think a lot about and around disease in general. Mm-hmm. And I thought of it when my father had Alzheimer's yeah. and um I remember writing a piece about um You know, that referenced my father dying from Alzheimer's and talking about how I didn't like the like battle imagery, Mm -hmm. war Mm -hmm. imagery with disease and saying that my father was not like he wasn't a soldier in the war against Alzheimer's. Right. He was an accountant who forgot his (laughs) friend's names.
0: Oh, Oh. like, you know, let's like. And there's something deeply sad about what you just said. And also funny. Yeah. That thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's very few people who can do that. Very few people.
1: I mean, Alzheimer's is pretty hilarious when you think about it. It's deeply, (laughs) it's deeply sad. You need to put
0: that on a card.
1: (laughs) And hilarious. (laughs) Um, And I think that oftentimes the saddest things in the world are often the most funny one of the funniest days of my life was the day my father died.
2: Oh,
1: um, really? I was, at his, I was at his bedside with my brother and our mom. And um, it was the first time I had been with someone as they were dying. And I thought it was going to be like the movies where someone finally takes like one last deep breath. And oh. then you come in and close their open yeah. eyes. Yeah. Right? So you're oh, we waiting oh, for that no. movie moment. Oh,
0: yeah. Well,
1: what happened with dad is he, was, he would take a deep breath and then we kind of look at each other like He's there. Gone. It was. And then, nope, he'd take another deep breath.
2: <laughs> yeah. <I
0: don't>
1: <laughs> and my dad was a huge fan of Mel Brooks, of Mel Brooks movies and we oh, just felt course. like that was a very Mel Brooks. That's a very Mel life. Brooks moment. Wow. Like he just kept taking breaths after <laughs> you know, a minute or so. And then Aww. finally, he did not take any more breaths. And my brother attempted to shut his eyes. They would not And they close. wouldn't shut.
0: <gasps> yep, I know
1: this. <laughs> they would yeah. not shut. Yeah. You probably know this from working in hospitals. Oh,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, I will tell you a story. Um, and I've told this story before. Uh, we had a family. And I'm a bad person. So I do not remember what religion they were. But it was a religion I was not very familiar with. Um, and their father was dying, we were going to give him comfort care, which means we were going to take the tube out of his mouth, and then he would shortly die. And they explained to me that if he dies with his eyes open, his soul will wander the earth for eternity. He will not have, like, oh, peace. No. He will not transcend into the afterlife. Oh. Um, oh. That was my understanding of what they were telling me. And I was like, okay. And then I realized the reason they were telling me this is they felt strongly it was my responsibility to fix this. They just they just looked eyes. at me because they were trying to close his eyes and it wasn't working. And I knew he was gonna die oh. soon. We'd already taken the tube out, so I'm standing there. I'm like, I'm sweating because I'm like, fuck, this guy's gonna wander the earth forever. So I was like, um So I need to clean him a little bit, if you guys could step out. So I had them step out just for a moment. Um I told them I had to like do some bullshit thing that isn't real. And they went out and they closed the curtain and I legit got um, a tube of Mastisol, which is like medical grade skin glue. Yeah. And I and glued his eyes quiet. shut and I made sure they were shut and I came back and I said, OK, everything's fine. And then I walked out of the room and let them come in so that, like, they could like discover that his eyes were closed. And they, I looked in through the window, you know, like the ICU room, and they were just crying, just bawling, and I was like,
1: (laughs) "But I mean, that was a gift, though. That was a real gift." It's
0: like it's so severely like, and also sad and funny, yes. And and that moment, I'm like, yeah. Am I a worse person for leaving his eyes open or for gluing his eyes shut? He's going to go to like the funeral home and whoever's like taking care of the body is going to be like, what, what, uh, what is going on here? And then I was like, what if like someone finds out that I glued someone's eyes shut and like, it's a bad, like I had this panic moment, but like, then I saw them crying and I was Aww. like, I don't even fucking care. I don't even care because this was really important. Yeah,
1: I don't think you broke any law.
0: I hope not well the the
1: the new novel that I'm working on now I'm certainly going to use some of um I mean people keep asking if I'm writing a cancer memoir. I am certainly not writing a cancer memoir. um there are enough of those I love you so much I don't yeah, think I wanna, for
0: not doing
1: I don't that. think I want to think about cancer for two hundred no pages.
0: God no, but I am so excited about this oh, book though thank you that being said because I am I've going read to... your your work. Mm. I'm really excited. Yeah.
1: I am going to use the experience of having cancer in some way. I'm going to infuse some of it into the novel. Yes, please. And I think that's just part of how my brain works is that if I'm going through something difficult, I feel like I need to use it somehow. I can't just like I'm acquiring all of this random knowledge about yeah. chemotherapy drugs yeah. and port placement and Eyebrow regrowth serums and implants, and you know, just all of this bizarre information, none of which I ever wanted. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And I want to put it somewhere. You've got to. I have to. I feel a drive to do that.
0: I feel a drive uh, to read that. And I would, the reason that is, is because I know that it's not going to be done in a way that has already been done to death. And that's exactly what i think of when i think of like cancer memoirs like great it's i understand the like the urge to get things out there and to just talk things out that happened to you in your life i mean this that's what this entire podcast is about this is just me mm-hmm. like trying to talk out all of the traumas that i'm experiencing as a result of this cancer so like i get that but there's just for a sure. special special place in my heart for people who can fictionalize because there's a certain level to reading nonfiction where you learn something, and it can change you, certainly. But but there are fiction books more so than nonfiction books, even those designed to do so. There are fiction books that have changed me, I believe, as yes. a person. They have changed the way I look at the world. They have changed my thought patterns mm. about things. And fiction does that for me in a way that like, yeah, just putting it there verbatim, even if you're using metaphor— in a nonfiction book, like, it, you just can't do it. But give me a character, yeah. and someone who I like, I'm invested in, and show me them making all of these choices and doing yes. these things, these very surprising things, if we're talking yes. about Edie, and then I'm going, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, my God, what, what did, wait, what? And then you're reading that paragraph again, and you're like, oh, this is a different book than I thought it was, and I'm delighted, and now I can't put it down. There's something there. Like that's there's right. something to yeah. that and and I think that's a skill that like a very few f- people have, very few people
1: Well, thank you I think that um, I also really I strongly identify with a lot of fictional characters, mm-hmm. and right now there's so much emphasis on reading nonfiction and particularly in the area of like anti racism and social justice. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that is good there's wonderful books out there on those issues however. <sighs> I don't want fiction to get lost in that discussion. Yes. I think it's important that we read. I mean, Les is a great example. A lot of us read that brilliant book, Les, and we are not gay middle-aged men. Right. And yet we really strongly identified with Arthur Les in some way. Very
0: strongly. Yes. And I
1: think that in... Fiction allows people to identify with people who are not like them
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, on the surface. Yeah. And yeah, I don't want us to lose sight of that. I think that that's really important.
0: Right. I think it is so important. Edie Richter is not alone is a book. And everybody should be reading it, and yeah. it'll make you laugh, it'll make you cry, it will make you forget about the otherworldly responsibilities, because it comes completely engrossing, and if you think you know what happens in this book, you do not know, mm-hmm. and how dare you presume to know, rude, no, it's surprising, <laughs> and it's wonderful. Rebecca Handler, thank you so much My pleasure. for pleasure. through everything that has been this yes. recording session this afternoon. Um, you're incredibly <laughs> flexible. Yes, and, thank you. Uh, yeah,
1: you're on Instagram. Uh, well, my website slash blog is called onewomanparty.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at onewomanparty. Um, I write on my blog kind of things that are inspired by what's going on in my life. So I would say the last few posts are all about cancer. So if that's something that would interest your
0: listeners. And they're very then good. You should go check it out
1: they um, just really
0: good. Thank you.
1: My book, Edie Richter is not alone, is available wherever books are sold. I always like to say, you know, support your local independent bookstore if you can. If they don't have it in stock, they can order it for you. Okay. So Ooh. I didn't know that Love. until ten years ago or something. Also, I should mention that if um, if anyone listening reads the book uh, with their book club. And they want me to pop in on a little Zoom. I've been doing that. And it has been absolutely delightful to meet and talk with readers. And now we can get into all the nitty gritties of the plot. You can get into um, it. And spoil everything and talk together about what you think. It's got a, a, a the book has a, of an ambiguous ending it could you could have various thoughts about the ending. that is
0: so awesome you guys the author herself we're yeah we're gonna start a book club we're starting we're a read book it club it right again now. and then you're gonna come on slide into the dms <laughs> all right and while you're at it follow us on instagram at breast cancer is boring um Leave us a podcast review. Like, I need to, like, get a lot of money somehow from this podcast, which right now is $0, and I need more than that. Um, and I need to stockpile it for my husband for when I die so he can go to the mountains and fish. He can pay for his look, inhaled- He has asthma, people. Doesn't anybody care? Nobody's talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so much, yes, you. and good night. <laughs>